Today's scripture is Exodus 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrews' woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come to home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him and he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter, Zephorah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During the, those many days, the kings of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray for us once more. So Heavenly Father, we ask you now to speak to us. God, if you have given us your word so that we might grow from it and so that we might know you just as you know us. Father, would you um, come in power and magnify yourself, Lord, just as we sang. Would you, would you magnify yourself and give us a deep confidence in who you are and what you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I do invite you to turn there. You can use your phone also if you don't have one with you. Exodus chapter 2. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage that we're working through this morning, so you might find it helpful to follow along. Also, just a reminder, we do have some Exodus journal books. It has the text of the book of Exodus, and then on one side, and then there's just some blank journal space on the other side. If you want one of those, there are some at the Connect table. You can just pick one up. That's free. That's our gift to you, as long as you use that and, and serves you. Um, I was listening to a, a sermon this past week, and I was reminded about the incredible nature of humanity's ingenuity. Uh, humans are capable of 
doing some incredible things. So, so this last Saturday, just yesterday, um, one of the, not one of the, the, the largest cruise ship in the world set sail from the port of Florida. This new boat is, it's a, it's a city on the water. It, it's, it's 20 stories high. There's a water park on it, slides, ice rink, seven different pools, a basketball court, most importantly, a mini golf course. There, there are 10,000 passengers that travel on this boat. And they feed them. And they sleep them. Humans not only create incredible floating cities, we've created vaccines. We've found a way to give people microscopic viruses that, that, that help their body create antibodies, microscopic antibodies, to fight against death-threatening diseases. In the 20th century, it's estimated that the smallpox vaccine has saved over 500 million lives. We did that. Um, maybe most impressive of all, uh, we've gone to the moon, right? So in, in 1903, um, we built the first um, airplane, the first powered airplane. It was built of wood and wire and canvas. We could fly it just a few feet above the ground. And then only 66 years later, please hear that, in someone's same lifespan, we send someone to the moon, they walk on it, and come back. All of you conspiracy haters, please don't email me. I think we did that in real life. Um, NASA did that with a computing power that is less than someone has on a flip phone. We went to the moon in 1969. Do you know when we decided it would be a good idea to put wheels on suitcases? 1970. You know what? We should go to the moon. Sure, let's do that. And then let's figure out the whole suitcase problem. Um, we carry supercomputers in our pockets. The phones we have give us access to almost all of the world's information. We, we can talk with people who live hundreds of thousands of miles away. We, we did that. Humans are incredibly brilliant and resourceful. And yet, as incredible as we are, we are still so limited in what we can accomplish. We still lack the, the wisdom and power necessary to bring about a deep and lasting change in this world. There are things that we long for that we simply cannot accomplish. We, we send rockets to the moon, um, and then we use the same technology to kill people in war and blow up hospitals, homes. We, we have access to all of the information. We have access to billions of people in our phones, and yet we are more anxious. What's going to happen in the world? What's going to happen to me? We are more depressed and lonely than we've ever been. We, we build floating cities, and yet even in our city, there remains people who are homeless and live in poverty and don't have enough food to eat. So here, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. As great as we are, and there is so much we should celebrate about the way God has created humanity in his image with the, the incredible ability to exercise our dominion in this world. Absolutely. We're still limited. And, and there ought to be this humility in our lives that instead of just thinking we can go out on our own and, and conquer this world, we actually have to turn to someone who is still greater still. We, we need a power and a wisdom that can bring lasting change. And I think that's something of what we see in our, in our passage this morning. Um, last week, we, we ended up ended off Exodus chapter 1, um, talking about Pharaoh's attempt to kill all of the Hebrew boys in Israel. 
right? He said any, anyone basically born to a Hebrew person, he told the midwives, you, you kill them. I'm trying to curb this population boom. I'm, I'm afraid of these Israelites. I'm afraid of what will happen if they grow too numerous. And so he gives these midwives this mandate. The, the midwives outsmart him, outmaneuver him. And, and just when it appears that maybe uh, the Israelites have won, Pharaoh comes back and goes, okay, fine, we'll just kill all of your Hebrew boys, anyone. He, he gives this as a command. Anyone in Egypt, he gives it to his people, right? You can see that in verse 22, just above. You just, you see a baby boy, two years and under, under just, just, just throw him in the Nile. Just, just kill him. So last week, we've been introduced to the, the baddie, <laughs> the villain. This week, we get introduced to the deliverer, the one who comes to sa- save. So we're going to look at our text under, under three headings. Let me give them to you as we go, okay? First off, here we go. The makings of a deliverer. The makings of a deliverer. Look at verses 1 to 3 again. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. We're told um, right at the beginning that this baby, Moses, as his name will be called, is from the tribe of Levi. Now, that'll be important later on when when we find out that Moses is going to act as a sort of priest, and and priests are supposed to come from the tribe of Levi. But most importantly for us right now, it's it's not um, that he comes from this right tribe. It's that Moses has the right mother. He has the right mother. Moses' mom, we find out later, her name is Jochebed. Jochebed is going to do whatever she can to protect her son. To protect him from being murdered. As a loving mom would do. And so what does she do? She starts by hiding the baby. We're told she she hides the baby for uh, three months. And then it comes that point when, when baby's cries are no longer cute and give you the warm fuzzies and all, oh, they're so adorable, right? They, they grow in volume. They become more like air raids. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, I would nev- my child would never do, do that. And so she's like, well, I, now, now we have a problem. The, the, the news is going to get out that I have a baby. My, my neighbors are going to hear my baby. And so she goes, okay, what, what do I do? So she takes the baby. She puts him in a basket. It's, it's what she got, just a little basket made of some straw woven together. She, she waterproofs it. She lays her, her son inside, and she, she floats him in the river. Now, this, I'm just giving you this. We're not talking about this because we don't have time. Just interesting, you should know, that word for basket there is literally the word ark, which is the same word used in Genesis 6 when God commands Noah to build an ark. And he also waterproofs it with bitumen and, and pitch. There's a, there's a foreshadowing here of the type of salvation that will happen. This is a, a new creation. This is the one through whom God's promises will be fulfilled. We're not, we're not talking about this. We don't have time. Moving on. Here's what you, I want you to see. I want you to see um, this mom's incredible bravery. At first, there's the bravery to, to hide her baby. She, she's putting her own life at risk. So, so we read this in Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They had faith and so weren't afraid. So they hid the baby. But also there's the bravery to let her child go. Throughout the Bible, we actually see um, instances of moms entrusting their children to the Lord. So in Hannah, 
we see a mom who was desperately praying for a child, pleading to the Lord for a child. And finally, she has her child and says, okay, I'm going to give him to the Lord as an act of thankfulness. She brings him to the tabernacle, and Samuel is raised in the tabernacle. She, she gives up her, her baby boy. Um, we also see two moms standing before King Solomon, arguing over whose baby uh, this child belongs to, right? Who, who, whose baby is this actually? Is it this mom or, or is it this mom's? And so King Solomon, in all his wisdom, says, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll just cut the baby in half, and you can each have half of the baby. You can't, you can't agree. Well, you each have half. And what does the actual mom do? The, the real mother do? He goes, no, 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 fine. Save the child. Keep him alive. She can have it. Now she ends up with the baby because Solomon knows only a mother would respond like that. But again, she, she hands her baby up. We see it maybe most amazingly in Jesus' own mother, standing at the foot of the cross, watching her son endure incredible suffering and, and torment, and she hands him up. She, she lets him go to God. I think, um, I think this, is a just, this is just an important word for us as parents. We, we need to remember that our children do not ultimately belong to us. You need to know the Lord loves your kids even more than you do. And when, when we actually try to replace God in their lives, when, when we try to take the goal, role of God and, and control them and act as little helicopter parents, making sure nothing bad ever happens to them and we're going to be the ones to control their futures, we're actually robbing them from a greater protection. The Lord loves your kids more than you do. And we, you can trust him with them. The Lord's got them. Let, 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 let's keep going. It's an amazing mom. Then we see an amazing sister. Look, look at verse 4. And so his sister stood at a distance. Moses is now in the river. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. So, so, so in the Nile, Moses goes, He's, he's floating in the basket, and his sister, whose name is Miriam, is kind of standing back and, and watching from a distance. She, 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 she loves her baby brother, and she, she wants to see what's going to happen to him. And I just want you to see just how amazing this little girl is. She, she would have been a, a preteen, early teen as best. That's what most scholars uh, estimate. And... and this is someone who has incredible courage. She goes up to Pharaoh's daughter. She's articulate, right? She, she's standing before the, the wealthiest person, the wealthiest woman in, in the world, the, the most powerful woman in the world. She's standing there and articulately arguing her case for what should be done for this child. She's like, Let, you, should, you should take care of the child. And oh, it's probably going to be hard. The child cries. Trust me, I know. I live, I, I, I've heard this child. And you should, you should maybe go and get someone to care for this child. Oh, why don't I, I get a, one from the Hebrew? And then she goes and gets her mom. And she cares for her mom's able to care for this child. This little girl argues that case. There are, there are some young people here. Some, some teenagers, some preteens. You need to, to hear that the Bible says you have a purpose. There is a plan that God has for you, like, even now. Sometimes we, we can talk about the, the, the next generation as the next generation, as though they need to sit on the sideline and, and wait until they're older, and we, we kind of pass the torch. And the reality of the Bible saying is, no, you have a place now. Step into God's plan for your life now. Look at what God can do through your humble actions. 
He has a tender-hearted sister, a young kid playing a big part. Then we see Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter. Moses' mother, Moses' sister, and then Pharaoh's daughter. Look at verse 5 and 10, 5 through 10. So now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Again, we are introduced to someone who stands up for what is right. This time, though, it's, it's someone who's not even an Israelite, right? So, so Pharaoh's daughter, her daddy, the autocrat and dictator of the most powerful empire in the world at the time, who gave an edict to kill all of the Hebrew boys, all the Hebrew baby boys, and, and Pharaoh's daughter has the gall to stand up to him. Think of how um, humiliating this might have been for Pharaoh, right? Like, you can't even control your own house, Pharaoh. Even, even your own daughter is getting away with raising a, a Hebrew baby boy. Imagine how infuriating he must have been. Now, maybe, maybe he, uh, Pharaoh's daughter is oblivious to it all, right? Like, she's just, like, down at the river, bathing, and she's like, oh, a basket, how cute, and she goes and gets the basket, and then she's like, oh, it's a, it's a Hebrew baby boy, who would have thought, oh, and then, oh, there's this little girl, and she's talking to me now, what a coincidence, oh, and the, the little girl wants to go and get a Hebrew mom, oh, and there's this other woman, and she just comes, and they seem to have this connection, and maybe she's just oblivious to it all, she's just like, taken for a ride. I don't think so, <laughs> I think she's She's a smart woman who, who knows what's going on. And yet, if anything, that should show just how much more compassion she has. How much more she cares about this baby boy. She wants to help him live, help him flourish. She's, she's going to pay the mom with the riches of Egypt. She's going to keep this baby alive, and she's going to adopt him as his own, her own child. And then she names him Moses. I'm going, I've, I've drawn him out, which is almost, again, a bit of foreshadowing about what's going to happen to the nation of Israel who will be drawn out of the sea of reeds and adopted as God's royal children. An amazing, amazing adoption. Two, two things I want us to notice. Um, in the lead-up to one of the most important moments in the Old Testament, the Exodus, the, the crossing of the Red Sea and the deliverance of God's people, the most significant figures thus far have all been women. Five women. Two midwives, Moses' mother, Jochebed, his sister, Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter. Now, throughout the Bible... Women play a prominent role in caring for the nation of Israel, preserving the nation of Israel, in, in supporting the ministry of Jesus, and in actually helping the church flourish. In a society that denigrated women, devalued them, Repeatedly, the Bible is trying to show us the, the prominent and important role women play in the life of God's church, in society. But because um, specifically here, um, we see five women all caring for children, I, I just want to speak to moms for just a second. 
Um, man, we, I have, I don't know moms, please. I don't know, I, don't, I barely know the, the troubles and the, and, and the challenges that you are facing right now. Many of you tired, um, right? You have, you have carpal tunnel just from like patting your child on the back and, and trying to get him to sleep and you're, you're bobbing over and over and your, and your bodies are aching and, and you're not sleeping and you're just wondering, will I ever get back out into the real world? Will, will this time ever end and will I ever be able to make a difference out there again? And you just need to hear the most important figures thus far in the most important event in the Old Testament have all been moms or have been all been women who are caring for children. Man, you just need to hear just how valuable you are. And you just need to hear that what you're doing right now makes a difference. The world might not see what you're going through. The world might barely know the struggles you face, but you need to hear that the Lord sees. And the Lord can use your time now. So thank you for, for being a mom. I just want to just encourage you, just keep going. I know it's hard. Just keep going. The Lord sees. Secondly, though, I don't want to just speak to moms. I want us to, to see how perfectly suited Moses is to be the future deliverer. Moses is perfectly situated to be the future deliverer. Um, Moses will become Israel's greatest leader who would lead the nation out of Egypt. He would fight the battle against Pharaoh and he would lead his people all the way to promised land. And, and Moses' upbringing in many ways is what enables him to be that leader. So, so we read this in the book of Acts. Acts 7 says this, At this time, Moses was born, this is speaking about this event, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed, please hear this, in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Moses is instructed in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. This is the most technologically advanced people. They have the greatest military tactics. They have the greatest artists and the greatest scientists. There's agricultural brilliance in this land. They're experts in business and in trade. And Moses gets that education. And not just any sort of Egyptian education. He gets an Egyptian education that only the likes of royalty would receive. He's a prince of Egypt getting this understanding. Um, do you know how they built the great pyramids? No, you have no idea. Do you know who did? Moses? Mo Moses would have known that. M Moses is being trained to be an incredibly brilliant man who's going to lead his people. But he doesn't just get an an Egyptian education, he also receives a godly education. He receives godly wisdom. Remember, the first few years of Moses' life, probably until he was five, six, seven, was spent in his mom's home, in his dad's home, who were Israelites. They would have taught Moses who their God was who they belong to, and, and the promises that God had given to his people. We, we, again, see hints of that in the book of Acts. So in, in the book of Acts 7, we read this again. When he was 40 years old, so this is a little later in Moses' life, we're going to read about this in a second, it came to his heart to visit his brothers. Moses said, I know, these, these are my people. These are, this is my family, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking the, down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brother would understand that, listen, God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. M Moses somehow, despite growing up in Pharaoh's home, believed and understood that God had a plan for his life. 
That, that God was not okay with Israel being in Egypt and that God would one day save Israel out of the oppressive hands of the Egyptians. And Moses actually thought, I think I'm that person who's supposed to do that. That, that he was God's chosen instrument in this. So Moses knows who these people are. He knows the God who called them. And so he's trained in the ways of Egypt. He's trained in the ways of God. And finally, making Moses perfectly suited for the role of leader is his compassion. Moses is full of compassion. Repeatedly in the life of Moses, we see this compassion played out. We're going to see in a second, Moses has compassion toward a Hebrew who's beaten by an Egyptian. Moses has compassion toward a Hebrew who's beaten by a Hebrew. He has compassion toward the women at the well in the wilderness. He has compassion toward Israel after they sinned by worshiping the golden calf. And where did, this all, where did all this compassion come from? From the three women who raised him. From his mom, who didn't consign her son to death in the Nile. To his sister, risking her life to care for a vulnerable baby to his adopted mother who would defy her cruel father and show pity on a tear-filled child. So through nature and through nurture, we see a situation, a, a personality, a training just right, just right, perfectly suited to bring up forth the deliverer. And yet, and yet, with all Moses had going for him, and as important a role as these other had in his upbringing, his flaws and shortcomings keeping, keep him from actually being able to deliver Israel. He's not enough. So secondly, we see then, second point, the mistakes of a deliverer. The mistakes of a deliverer. P pick it up in verse 11 again. One day... When Moses had grown up, so again, we, we know he's about 40 years old, the book of Acts tells us, he went out to his people, he leaves the palace, he leaves his throne, and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, probably something you do if, right before you do something you shouldn't do. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So, so Moses le leaves Pharaoh's palace. He sees a, a, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Literally, it's, it says one of his brothers. And, and Moses acts. And he acts out of the right heart, right? Out of compassion. He, he's trying to actually... To, to care for this, this Hebrew man, this, this brother of his. But he ends up just messing the whole thing up. Um, first, what Moses did was, if we're just being honest, foolish. It's foolish. You, Moses has the privilege of being in Pharaoh's house. He has all the resources. He has so much top-down influence. And yet he thinks... I should just kill this one Egyptian and maybe that will start making things right. You're supposed to save Israel. And he, in a way, gives it all up to save one person. Again, the right heart, but just foolish. He, he throws away all of his influence. Not just foolish, his actions also perpetuate cruelty. Moses decides to take vengeance into his own hands. So, and, and, so, he, he, in verse 11, he says, right, he saw uh, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And then in verse 12, it says, he looked this way and that way, and seeing no one, it says he struck, but it's literally the same word. It says, he beat the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. M Moses is identifying with the Hebrew people, but he's acting just like all the other Egyptians. He doesn't just perpetuate cruelty. He uses inordinate force. So the Egyptian is beating the Hebrew. And then we find out, though, Moses beats down. He, he, literally, he, he kills the Egyptian. He uses punishment and force that does not fit the crime. And lastly, all of Moses' violence here undermines his ability to lead. So in verse 13, we read this. 
When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. Again, showing compassion. He, he has the right heart, but he finds out now news has gone out. And so because of that, despite wanting to help and protect these other Israelite brothers of his, they, they scoff at the idea of him being their leader. You use violence, and you, you say you want to stop violence? You, you're just as worse as they are. Well, we, we've seen enough killing. We've seen enough killers. We don't need another killer to lead us, Moses. No, thank you. I love the way one pastor puts it. He says, you can, you can smear it, but you can't clean it up. He's, just, he's, he's trying to clean it up, but he's actually just, just spreading the mess. And so look at what happens as a result of Moses' failings. So verse 15 says, When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down at a, uh, by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to, uh, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And so he said to his daughters, Then where is he? He's a keeper. Go. Why, why have you left the man? Call him back that we can eat together. And then Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Again, compassion. He, he knows what's right. He, he stands up against these shepherds who are attacking these uh, seven sisters. And, and despite knowing how things ought to be, right? Moses knows, okay, violence is not supposed to be the way. We're not supposed to be oppressed like this. God has a plan for us. There, this broken world, it's, it's not right. Despite knowing all of that, he can't fix it. He's not enough. And so he comes to verse 22. We come to verse 22. And, and in the Old Testament, they do this weird thing where they, they name your children. It's kind of like this therapeutic thing where they like help you process what you're going through in life. So he names his son Gershom because he's like, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. That's what Gershom means. It means sojourner or foreigner. He's like, this is still how I feel. I'm trying and I'm trying and trying. And where has it left me? It's left me in the wilderness feeling like a foreigner. I'm not home. And my people and my brothers and my sisters are still not home. So he can have all this training. We, we can have all this training. This upbringing, the resources, the knowledge, the heart, the, the motivation. But through our own efforts, we cannot ultimately change hearts. We, we can't bring about that change we ultimately desire. But, but, but the point of this whole text is that there is one who can. There is one who can. So lastly, third point, the master deliverer. The master deliverer. Look, look at verses 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Um, please don't, don't miss the contrast here. In, in verses 11 to 15, there are 16 verbs. 
14 of those 16 have Moses as the subject of the verb, right? So, so if you look back in your Bibles in verse 11, one day Mo, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their beatings and he saw, he looked, he struck, he, he, Moses, he, 14 times. Moses is trying. And where does it leave him? In the wilderness. Not home. And then we get to verse 23 and 25 to 25. And four times we hear now God as the subject. Verse 24. God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. It's, suppo it's supposed to thunder. It's supposed to, to shake us up and help us realize this is why everything's now going to change. Uh, I want us to think about these, some of these verbs here. It, it says that God remembered. God remembered. But when the Bible speaks about God remembering, it, it's not saying that, that God needs a reminder or, or that, that God forgets. Uh, so in Deuteronomy 4, we read this. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget. He doesn't forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. It's not, it's not that he forgets or that he, he needs a, rem, a reminder. It's like, oh, I, I, that totally slipped. You, co contrast that, for example, with the things God says he intentionally doesn't remember. There are things God says, I'm choosing not to remember. And when he says that, what he's saying is, I'm not going to act on them. So, so listen to this in Isaiah 43. I, I am he, this is God talking, who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I'm not remembering your sins. Meaning, I'm not going to act on them. And so for God to remember is to say, this I am acting on. I, I'm moving towards this. I, I'm now going to step in and, and make a difference. That things are going to change. God remembers, but he remembers because he knew. God knew. When the Bible says God knows, it's saying more than just he understands the facts. To, to know something in the Bible is usually um, speaking about the, the deepest sort of relationship. The language of knowing is often used between a husband and wife in, in sexual intimacy. I, I, they knew each other. There's this, there's this openness. There's this, I, I see all of you, and I accept you, and still, for all that you are, I'm investing in this relationship. I, I care deeply about what's going on here. Um, because God knew Israel, it means that he's never actually stopped caring. He never stopped investing in their, in their life. Let, let, let's talk about the Nile River for a second. The Nile River is the longest river in the world. The Nile River is the second largest river in the world after the Amazon. Uh, the Nile River empties into the Mediterranean Sea. This, this is no small river. Um, every second, 6.2 Million pounds of water are emptied into the Mediterranean Sea because of the Nile. 6.2 million pounds of water every second are traveling through this river and emptying into the Mediterranean Sea. And Moses' mother goes, here you go. Man, if there was ever a moment of, of weakness, <laughs> of feeling not enough, incapable to control the outcome. It's that moment. I mean, that basket, right, can go anywhere. That 12-pound, that 15-ounce baby boy, right, we, he's so small we can measure him in ounces still, controlled by 6.2 million pounds of water. And yet, because God knew, that basket ended up in the reeds. Because God knew that basket ended up in the reeds where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. 
at the right time when Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. And Pharaoh's daughter saw that baby. Man, it just so happened to be. But we know it's not, it's not just a, a haphazardness to all of it. The, the Lord knew. And so he was orchestrating. He was moving all of those events. He, he was working it out for, for Israel's good. Now, I think w- one of the regular fears we have is a, a fear of m- taking the wrong steps. Just worried, man, did I, did I go down the right path? Did I, did I take the right job? Did I move into the right house? Did, did I make the right decision? And you just need to hear, man, if, if you've trusted in Christ, the Lord knows you. And every moment of your life, he's, he's with you and he, he's investing in you. Man, man, think about it. Jochebed wondered if she was doing the right thing, putting her son in a basket and letting him go down the Nile River. Moses is wondering if he should have protected that Hebrew man. Mo- Moses is wondering if he should protect the other Hebrew man from, from be- getting another beating. Maybe that Hebrew man is wondering, should I have tattletailed on Moses? Right? Some- someone found him out. Moses wonders, is he running away, if he's running away for his life is a good thing. Moses wondering if showing compassion to those sisters again is the right thing. Million questions. But with a God who knows, every step is ultimately used for our good. Every step is ultimately used to to draw us into deeper relationship with the God who loves us. And so because of all of those unfortunate events, Moses is educated by both Egyptians and Hebrews. Moses' mom is paid to be his mom, like 4.4 to 5 years of, of paid maternity leave. In, in a time where no, no maternity leave, Mo, Moses meets his wife. As lousy it is to go into the wilderness, I, I, as much as I hate camping, if it man, means I would meet my wife, so it's a good thing. Meets his wife. His wife would later save his life. That's a good thing. Moses gets to know his father-in-law, who's incredibly wise and actually helps him lead Israel. Moses, maybe most importantly of all, comes to know what it means to be a sojourner a foreigner, because Moses would be called to lead, lead Israel, and one of their primary mandates in life was, was to welcome in the foreigner, to love on the sojourner. All because God knows. Because God knew. But I want to end by just one, one last verb. God remembered. Or no, God heard. God heard. Um... God's been at work behind the scenes. He's, he's arranging things. He's, he's getting things ready. He remembers. He, he acts. But everything actually changes when God heard. Verse, verse 23 again says this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out to God for help. The crying out, the cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard they're groaning. There's a new regime. They're still suffering in, in Egypt. Israel's still in slavery. So finally, Israel goes, okay, we're crying out to God. We've come to the end of ourselves. And, and they pray. The, the decisive moment happened not when they tried to do something themselves, but when they trusted God to do something. All of us trust something. Trust the economy, trust the government, trust education, our health, eating enough spinach shakes, whatever it is, we're, we're, we're trusting in something. Right? So, something is going to help me live the good life. Something is going to get me that ultimate happiness that I'm, that I'm after. But there are certain things that no government or education or health or economy can do to us. Namely, overcome evil, defeat sin, save us from our sin, rescue us from death, and give us everlasting life. And I think if we're honest, we feel this. Man, just... Every day, every week, man, there's these moments where we just, we begin to feel just a little bit out of control. And and maybe, maybe just for a moment, you can have everyone in the right place and everything feels at peace. And then all of a sudden, everything begins to slip away. And there's just this 
we have to recognize, if we're honest with each other, man, I can't actually control everything in my life. Man, my, there are things beyond my ability. And so the question is then, who, who are you going to trust? Are, are you just going to dig in more? Okay, I'm just going to grab control, I'm, try a little harder. I'll be the one to make a difference. Or we have a God who hears, a God who heard, a God who can help us. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A God who invites us to stop trusting in yourself. Trust in someone who loves you even more than you love yourself. Trust in someone who has the wisdom and the power to actually save you. We call on, the Bible says, not just this unknown God, but we call on, most definitively, Jesus. See, Jesus, like Moses, also left his throne. Except his one was a heavenly one. He, he came down, he, he saw our condition, our bondage, our struggles, our, our burdens. And just like Moses, he also stepped in. The difference between Moses, though, and Jesus is that because Jesus is God, he has perfect wisdom. And he has perfect power. And so he knows exactly what we need, and he has the ability to do precisely that. And so how did Jesus choose to rescue us? Not by striking down someone else, but by being himself stricken. Jesus said that what you really need is not someone else to die, but me to die. And, and, so, and so Jesus dies in our place. And through his death and subsequent resurrection, he defeats evil, and then he draws us out. He calls us to himself, and we enter into relationship with him. Have you been saved? Have you been saved? Like, have you called out to a God who can actually save you? And maybe, maybe you have. What is it then that you're going through? Are you going to trust in yourself or will you cry out to God for help? He knows. He sees. He remembers. And he hears. Let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, would you please show us that you are one we can actually trust. God, we, we, we pray... Um, for a humility, a, a softening of heart, Lord, so that it might go well with us, so, so that we might not trust in ourselves and one day be left disappointed when everything unravels. God, help us to trust in you and you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.